0: Hello, everyone. I'm Tyler Green, back with another Modern Art Notes podcast, Life in a Pandemic, bonus episode. For this program, I wanted to talk with two artists who had the exceptional experience of having an exhibition of new work opening and closing nearly all at once. Those two artists sprang almost immediately to mind. Both were having solo shows in the cities in which they lived. Both are artists of significance, artists who had designed installations that would reveal much about their process and interests. Other than all that, which feels like a lot, they're nothing alike. My first guest this week will be Paul Mpachi-Sapuya, who was last on the program in the first week of 2020, when a Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis-originated survey of his work was on view at the Blaffer Museum at the University of Houston. On March 14th, Paul debuted new photographs at Los Angeles' Vealmetter Gallery. After I talk with Paul, I'll talk with painter Kate Shepard. On March 12th, Gallery LeLong in New York City's Chelsea neighborhood opened a new show of Kate's latest work. She's well-represented in major museum collections around the country, museums such as the Albright-Knox, LACMA, the MFA Boston, the Met, and plenty more. Among her Art Museum solo exhibition credits are the Phillips Collection in Washington, the Haynes Art Gallery at Wake Forest University, and the Chinati Foundation in Marfa, Texas. A reminder before we get to the program, these bonus episodes are kind of low-frills versions of our usual show. These conversations are looser, less edited, and far less planned for than the weekly program because, well, who knows how to plan to talk to an artist about a frickin' pandemic? Also, between segments, we'll be running free ad spots provided by art museums, art museums that want you to know how they're reaching audiences, you, during this time of challenge.
1: Paul's up first after the break. Just when the world seems to be shrinking, the staff at the Harvard Art Museums hopes to play a small part in expanding it. We invite you to take a moment, when you can, to enjoy a work of art. Browse images of our world-class collections, approximately 250,000 artworks that range from ancient to contemporary and span much of the globe. Dive into the stunning flora and fauna depicted in our special exhibition, Painting Edo, Japanese Art from the Feinberg Collection. Or take a behind the scenes look at projects in our renowned conservation labs. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we're sharing highlights of artworks chosen by staff and participating in the hashtag museum from home and hashtag museum moment of Zen initiatives. All of these and more you can explore at harvardartmuseums.org. We wish you all good health and fervently hope to see you all in our galleries soon.
2: Hello, this is Brent Benjamin, the Barbara B. Taylor Director of the St. Louis Art Museum. All over the world, art museums, including ours, have adapted quickly to the spread of coronavirus in ways that limit the personal interaction with original works of art, which is our reason for being. The St. Louis Art Museum is embracing new ways to share our collections and exhibitions digitally. Once we closed our doors, we moved rapidly to reconfigure the museum's homepage, pointing to existing online content. This includes highlighting the museum's collections and sharing video, audio guide, and blog content. We are also bringing current exhibitions to our digital audiences in expanded ways. These websites are now illustrating all exhibition works And providing additional contextual content, just as a visitor would experience in person. We create new content daily for our members to create a continual connection with them. Through our social media channels, we are focusing on trending content themes and requests for art content. This is a significant moment and a challenging moment for art museums, creating stronger connections and being responsive to our audiences and stakeholders, and supporting them in this time of uncertainty and anxiety has allowed us to continue to fulfill
0: our mission during this crisis. Thank you. Hello, this is Jack Becker, executive director of the Jaws and Art Museum in Omaha, the largest art museum in the state of Nebraska. Like so many others, our museum is closed right now, but we remain just a few clicks away. Find virtual gallery talks by curators, interactive social media prompts that encourage conversation, and art engagement resources for teachers, parents, and kids with more being added daily. Find us on social media at Joslin Art Museum or visit our website at joslin.org and click art from afar, see you online. Welcome back, I caught up with Paul just after he'd finished teaching a class through Zoom's video technology. Hi Paul, how are you?
3: Hi Tyler, I'm doing all right in the circumstances
0: nice of you to put zoom down to talk with me <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah it's a lot of zoom <laughs> so much zoom <laughs> um, i'm almost afraid of what kind of impact it's going to have on teaching going forward um, and like what people are expected to do and the type of skill sets we're supposed to have but anyways, yeah i'm on i'm on zoom a lot
0: <laughs> yeah i've I've had some friends of mine who who uh teach history courses um begin to worry about that. So let's um let's provide the audience with some context about your last couple weeks. You had a show that um was planned, long planned, long scheduled to open at Veal Matter on on March fourteenth or so. Um Yep. Yeah, uh, Saturday fourteenth. Yeah. And you've had, you know, this is not a new thing for you, right? You've had lots of solo shows all over the world over the last 13 years. But, yeah. but but and I, I think this, this is like important and significant. This was to be just your second solo show where you live in Los Angeles.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, the first show I did in LA was at Team Gallery Bungalow in September of 2017. Um, and that was a really important show. It kind of set, in motion, um, kind of debuted the the overall body of work and ideas that I've been thinking about for the past maybe almost four years now. Um, and so, you know, and that continued to develop. But you know, that show, the the bungalow, was a, a small space and a really beautiful, really intimate space. But as a small show, so this is was to be the kind of the first. Um, substantial show the first like big show in los angeles and as you said like i've had shows fortunate to have a lot of shows around you know but even when i was living in new york i only had one show in new york in 2008 um so there's really only been two times (laughs) in the past dozen years that i've lived in a city where i've had a solo show, something that I've been able to spend time with or to visit with friends and just kind of take in. I feel like everyone else has been able to spend more time with finished work than I have, which is um, ironic. It's great for, for people who want to see that work. It's sad for me.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, I want to come back to that, to the, to, to the impact on you of seeing your work on the wall and installed and with the sight lines you wanted and getting to have that for six weeks. But, but let's, um, let's start the story at Ville on the 14th. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the 14th is a Saturday. It's things around the United States have um, already begun to be canceled. Um, A tennis tournament I was supposed to be at that week Mm -hmm. um, had been canceled six days earlier. Was there an opening?
3: Oh, we, you know, it's like it kind of died, not completely died, but just kind of was cut down bit by bit as time went by. You know, like the the timing of the show was also coinciding with the final week of the winter quarter at UC San Diego, UC San Diego, where I teach. So um, that day, the 14th, was the, to be the beginning of spring break <laughs> for me as well. And so I'd been kind of feeling feeling all of these um, responses out on both the gallery side, but also on the faculty side through the UCs. Um, so on the one hand, I was sort of balancing going back and forth the couple weeks, the the two prior weeks between doing bits of install at the gallery, then going back down to San Diego, then coming back home to Los Angeles. And it was spaced out. And so, you know, that final week leading up to it, um, that's probably the time when your tennis tournament was canceled, you know, um, like there were debates, um, I'm on the board of printed matter and we were having the conversations about whether or not the, to eventually cancel the LAR book fair. Um, But it was always talking about large events, you know, groups where you couldn't kind of contain thousands of people or then it got down to hundreds of people. I think by the time Friday came around, the 13th, um, Los Angeles had just maybe said that there was no gatherings over 50. You know, at this point, time has moved so fast that it's even hard to remember how it all happened. But by, you know, by Wednesday the 11th we'd already realized we couldn't do a dinner um you know Suzanne said you know clearly we we couldn't put people in risk at a at a restaurant but perhaps we could have a smaller scale opening and then do something later and then you know i think it was probably the day of the 14th when there was no gatherings over maybe 25 people allowed um and the gallery decided to switch to doing um by appointment only um so I kept trying to find, you know, respond to whatever was coming down from um the experts. And so I was there. Um I I had previously sent out, you know, as artists do, um, you know, save the day, come to my opening. I'd love to see you. Um, and then I started posting to friends and people on let's say Instagram or just like in person or chatting by text um, that there wasn't going to be an opening. Um, but a few friends did come by and we had a very small group sort of awkwardly spaced out. Fortunately, the gallery is quite big. <laughs> um, and I f- yeah, yeah, that was the last time I've seen a group of, of, um, of friends.
0: I think you've seen the show since that night because y'all pivoted to figuring out how to represent its physical manifestation online?
3: Mm -hmm. Well, so we made use of whatever quick footage already existed. None of that was planned to be used. Um, The thought, you know, because as far as the opening, by the time of the opening, we were thinking you know, it's great, it's the shows here in Los Angeles, I live 15 minutes away, I could meet people one-on-one and walk people through, there would always be at least one, you know, one gallery staff person there to minimize, you know, we were trying to plan a way in which people could see the work, um, and then when it became clear that no, that none of us could be there, that non-essential businesses were being shut, we just had to use some footage that we'd happened to have taken um just before the opening so there had been some um curatorial groups um and other kind of people who had planned we had planned sort of intimate walkthroughs with and those had to get cancelled because they were you know let's say a patron group from an institution that's 25 people we couldn't do it so i had recorded we just sort of did a last minute kind of really rough recording of me just sort of talking about the work um and some views just before the non-opening um opening non-opening opening whatever you would want to call it and that's what we used
0: <laughs> so one of the things that i think you talked about on instagram correct me if i'm wrong is that in your conception of the show the sight lines from one work to another across the gallery from wall to wall be it straight across or diagonally that you had installed the show to have specific intentional revealing sightlines and yep. conversations between works.
3: Yes. Yeah, I I did. And that's kind of the, the, the thing, the, the one thing that you can't see online. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that I've done in pretty much any installation I've done for an exhibition. I've been thinking about sightlines, more often um and in most past shows what those notes across sight lines are are um a lot of times they rely on- a kind of privileged inside knowledge, things that are sort of set up for those subjects, those friends who are in the work or people who are who kind of like move within those social circles often ways in which people let's say this comes up in Uh, points when people talk about fragmentation or things being sort of obscured or whatever, um, oftentimes there's, uh, I'm really playing on uh, a type of inside recognition, Um, or what you'll often see is um, works placed in sight lines that might incorporate elements of prior instances of something you see um, elsewhere on the wall. Um, So in this work, I was thinking about sight lines, some of it incorporating that. For example, there's um, one of the works, one of the figures works and one of the studio works, which is kind of like a still life of the studio that incorporates a mirror. Um, There are two mirrors in the work. One is at a 45 degree angle to the perpendicular plane of the primary mirror. And so it's reflecting what's outside of the scene so one half of the image is reflecting what's outside of the scene elsewhere in the studio and what's reflected in that scene is a prior iteration during the editing process of the large scale work that hangs next to it Um, so it kind of makes a doubling of um this figure that um me and a friend have posed in another work does that make
0: sense yeah no so I can I, I I I imagine many of the listeners has have heard your being on the show back in January and and know the work which is very distinctive for these kinds of visual games nods references mirrors mirrored images lenses orifices
3: yeah all those things <laughs> yeah and also you know the thing that that um is new in this work as well is um I had this past winter had built a movable mirror, like mirror set on a rolling, um, like kind of theater set type of a thing. So I could build into the image these reflections that were not at a, uh, where the where the camera the where the camera and the um was not always perpendicular to the reflecting surface, so that was a new thing and that's why these uh kind of spatial layouts in the installation were um really important um yeah and these yeah as well um this show includes more images of that are made that that in some ways describe the space itself. Um, So not all the works are figurative. They include sort of fragments or reflections of figures, but they are themselves spatial. Um, And so that's uh, something that I wanted people to see in person.
0: At the risk of asking the hopelessly cliched end of the NBA game question, how do you feel about all this? What's it, what's it like to have to put up with? <laughs> oh, um,
3: you know, it's the fact that, that the show is sort of in limbo is, you know, not completely devastating in a funny way. I mean that, that we actually got to install it. Um, is everything, you know? And there's just so much to do, you know. Just keeping in mind, um, staying safe and healthy. Like figuring out how to, you know, work when I can't be in the studio. You know, I have a part-time studio manager. You know, how do how do we keep that going? You know, there's um, this was also, you know, the first time i had done a, a solo show with large scale works, um, with all works on a, a pretty big scale. So it's like all these things, <laughs> like suddenly having, um, the responsibility of being a boss <laughs> in my studio practice and kind of the, uh, investment in making large scale work, like all these things are just really like, that's really what I'm thinking about more so than um the smaller sort of like sadness of people just not being able to see the show because also you know the um everyone is just trying to figure out a way in which that this can be put on hold when we're allowed to be up and out and moving again there will be time for people to see the show I don't doubt that um but i'm thinking about all the other things that are going on.
0: Yeah, i i i keep hearing things like that whether it's artists and gallery shows or curators and museum shows um that there is a tentative confidence that uh schedules will be made to work out because everybody wants them to. Mhm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> And then the you know the way in which like um arts media and writers and people are reaching out to make stories like this is also really encouraging um you know there's kind of been almost a sometimes it feels like there's an uh um what's a better way to say it like yeah there's a there's a lot of um people reaching out um and so finding different ways to just kind of keep these shows um, and the work like in people's, like on people's radar.
0: Is there anything that you think or fear might be lost as a result of this interregnum or whatever we're calling this global moment?
3: This? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm convinced it's the beginning of like the next great, uh, depression um and there's i don't know what i i at this point <laughs> this many years into the current administration I've sort of lost my uh some of my hope that we'll be able to use this opportunity to really rebuild and restructure things in a you know towards a positive future um so there's that <laughs> that feeling of what will what will be lost um But also, I'm you know I'm afraid of what kind of galleries and artist-run spaces and institutions and the stuff will get will get lost. Um, Yeah,
0: you show in L.A., um, which is surrounded by art schools and artists. You know, one of the four or five big art-making capitals in the world, and an exhibition like this one um, at a prominent gallery um, is an opportunity uh, to extend influence, to um, make something that a lot of practitioners will see and have the opportunity to consider um, and work through in their own work. And are you at the point yet where you have thought about whether or not there's going to be a cycle or two where maybe your work doesn't get to inform and motivate others oh
3: yeah (laughs) um (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i made work for a long time where it stayed in a very sort of like small audience that really i i aimed for conversations in certain broader spaces and you know sort of never reached them i'm not afraid that um that uh, I don't know if you'd call them trends or cycles or whatever will, um, have anything to do with me continuing to make work or not making work. Um, it's the one thing that I'm like keep doing. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I, I very much recognize the point now at which when I'm making work and I'm putting it out into the world that there are, Conversations, there are obligations and responsibilities outside of what I'm directly addressing um, of my, you know, sort of first degree aims in the work. Um, you know, other sorts of like social or political or educational kind of like contexts. Um But yeah, at some point I'm gonna I'll be just keeping making work and the conversation will shift to something else. People will be. You know, the the people with the with the money and influence that market or whatever might decide they just want big abstractions again. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I re- I remember like in the mid in the mid two thousands, like really wanting these like conversations around like that are happening today and seeing the type of work, some things that I was really interested in, I'm just thinking about like those sort of large, grand, romantic sculptural gestures that were like the height of like everything in the right before the um, 2008 crash.
0: Um, The late Fabian Marcaccio era.
3: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, And, uh, and also I think it's, it's, I, I, you know, talking to, Uh, people in the you know who are working at galleries and running galleries or have a closer insight to to markets and stuff or you know they're saying this is way worse already than 2008 for many reasons but I think it was helpful to have gone through that experience figuring out like that keeping making work the desire to make work and finding like your own um, measures of success and satisfaction is the most important thing because you can't control all the other stuff. Like you can, you can just sort of be ready and, and there, you can try to like, try to push the conversation forward to shape it and then just be ready to like jump in when, when, um, like the spotlight kind of turns on you.
0: As we tape this, we're about three weeks into, um, a period during which people such as us can't go look at art, <laughs> um, you know, unless we drive by a sculpture on Melrose or Wilshire <laughs> or something, right? Have you thought about what you lose either as a teacher or as a maker when visual ideas traffic less in actuality and more in just JPEG or on Instagram?
3: <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I've never thought about it under these circumstances. Like, you actually cannot go out to see work. Um, And for me, the fact that photographs are not just emanations from a screen is super important. Um But I think about, like, you know, I don't know what I'll... Like, at this moment, I'm just not like my concern isn't trying to make more of the work that's up on the walls there. I mean, I made, you know, any exhibition is the result of making a lot of work over a few years and then editing down to sort of what makes sense at that moment in that space. So I, have, I still have a lot to work through with this. Um, but also I think about like, you know, bef- my first strategies for kind of having conversations in the physical like in in, in terms of was doing zines um and thinking about ways in which people can send objects or prints or you know am i i'm thinking about this weekend going to my studio and picking up just the little laser printer that i have there so i can do something but yeah you know i'm not <laughs> it's really funny to think that like at a certain point where you can't go into galleries, the only artwork you can see is like the sculpture on Melrose in front of like a corporate, like West Hollywood office or something. It's kind of terrifying. So hopefully there's a way that we, that people can exchange through, um, through if it needs if it is physical through the mail or through some other types of drop-offs and exchanges, small objects and things. Or really using, like, making work that's really thinking about the screen. I mean, there's no doubt at this point that that um, digital media is, you know, a totally legitimate, like, realm in which to make work. So,
0: I don't know. We just did a show with Christopher Knight and Antoine Sargent, and one of them, I forget which, off the top of my head, said that – um the difficulty with jpegs is that you you lose any sense of scale um Mm -hmm. and talking and and hearing you talk about how in your newest work you'd really scaled up Mm um uh reminded me of that
3: yeah Yeah, you lose you really do lose that scale it's you know there's like in little small ways on an Instagram post, if I post artwork, I always post the size. Like, I it doesn't mean that someone's going to – there's no way that someone's going to translate it into that size in front of them from their iPhone, but at least an awareness that the image is not just an image, um, that it is – that what I'm showing is a JPEG of a work um, is important. But uh, – Yeah, there's interesting people who play with a sense of scale. Like I think about like, um, my friend Christopher does this, we started kind of uh, making zines around the same time and he's continued this project called Pinups. It's like a sort of like sexy bears, like zine that's turned into sort of a, uh, it was sort of like a regular set of issues and now it's just sort of, individual kind of more artist projects but anyways each one can be each zine can sort of be unfolded like you can take the staples out and tile together like a life-size (laughs) pinup you know it's like this thing can go through the mail in this like nice little bundled way but like you can return it to a sense of scale you know like and as you were talking about what um Christopher and Antoine we're saying like it makes me think of a project like that of like Pinups Magazine.
0: Um, there is a question I've been asking artists for the la- over the last couple of weeks, and it strikes me it's probably even more relevant for your work because key or fundamental to your work is quite often people being in physical contact with each other, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and and then how you play with that. Um, in the work. So that's all a way of building up toward asking if you think, or have a sense yet of if the pandemic and the response to it will find its way into your work. Oh yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, at this
3: point, I don't know. Um, that there will there is, there will necessarily be a way of adapting and thinking about it. Um, Right now, it's nice to kind of think about this work being made and kind of reminding ourselves of touch, um, of intimacy, you know? Because one of the reasons why I introduced, like, like really close touch, like a firm grasp, um, like a firm mutual grasp in the photographs was thinking about, like, the type of kind of control at a distance that so many photographers have over subjects um like just thinking about how tightly maplethorpe for example could control a subject but be wholly outside of the image and always thought about wanting to do something in response to that um so i think yeah there's a way of Sort of retreating back and continuing to make photographs, but I think there needs to be another way to come around to um making that distance like more positive um and i I don't have an answer to that um and I have not you know it's been um. I'm trying to think how long has it been since I like last made a portrait. Um, so yeah, I don't have an answer to that. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, well, we're three weeks in. I mean, we may have, oh, I'm not even going to say it. Um, the the last question I've asked almost everybody um, on these bonus shows is, uh, do you think in terms of, oh my God, I can't wait to do this when when this is all over?
3: Oh god, I just can't wait to like, like have people over. <laughs> you know, just, um, yeah, I just can't wait to go out, <laughs> um, to just be like in a crowd of people. Um, and I don't know when that's going to happen again. Yeah. yeah.
0: Paul, thank you.
3: Yeah, nice talking to you, Tyler.
0: The Museum of Modern Art is bringing its galleries to you with virtual views. You'll find exclusive access to Donald Judd's revolutionary sculptures, Dorothea Lange's impactful photographs, intimate home movies, and more at moa.org. Every weekend, they'll take you inside an exhibition or a favorite artwork from the collection through video stories and curator Q&As, as well as audio playlists and feature articles. Virtual Views continues this Thursday, April 16th, with Felix Fenion, the anarchist and the avant-garde, from Cenoc to Matisse and beyond. Learn more at MoMA.org. At the Akron Art Museum in Akron, Ohio, the mission is to enrich lives through modern and contemporary art. Although the doors may be temporarily closed, the museum is pursuing this mission with innovative digital offerings. Recharge, reflect, and reconnect with art, yourself, and your community through programs such as AAM at Home, museum games, online studio hours, the Relief Podcast, and much more. Learn more or visit the collection at akronartmuseum.org or check out any of our social media platforms at Akron Art Museum. While the new museum remains closed at this time, you can stay engaged with the museum by signing up to receive their biweekly home delivery newsletters at newmuseum.org and by following the museum on their social media channels. These resources feature rich digital content from the museum's vast archive, as well as content called from their ongoing partnership with Rhizome and New Inc, the new museum's cultural incubator. Hi, Kate. How are you?
4: Hi, Tyler. I'm well. How are you?
0: How are you uh, getting by in this moment? How are you? How are you doing?
4: Well, I, I've, I'm not counting days or weeks anymore. Time is quite strange, and I, I never know what day it is, although there is a designated day to do laundry, so that's the <laughs> one day I, I know. And there's a designated day that we're allowed to leave the house and go to the farmer's market, and that's Saturday, so it's that's our life day. Um, I'm doing well. We had a crisis in the family, so we had to um, enlist a lot of specialists, and work with them via, you know, one of, one of these uh, Zoom type of things. And I found that they were incredibly natural to use. Seeing somebody's face and they're seeing ours, and we got really far. Um, I, which is why I'm on this podcast. My show was open for only a day and. I wasn't really able to kind of mourn that because so much happened in the family right after that, that I, that I had to really snap into triage gear. And um, so at the moment I'm doing great. Um, but obviously I have this weird awareness that we all hear the sirens. I have this and I'm looking at the John Hopkins website twice a day to see all the red dots on the map, but, we are doing great because we're privileged. We're not, um, delivering Amazon packages, et cetera. So there's a tremendous, uh, guilt about our privileged, but I, I have to say there's something so magical about staying at home. And so many people are saying that, um, and I'm grateful that the crisis in our family is over. Um, I also averted something that is so common with artists, which is that usually once you put a show up, you, this was a terrible moment years ago. An artist came to my studio right before I was going to install. And she, she when she left the studio, right at the threshold, she said, get ready for the depression. And I was like, fuck you, man, but I knew that she was really saying something that was inevitable for every artist, and even my friend, Dan Walsh, said while he was installing, I'm feeling it already, um, but I got to avoid that whole thing, because I got to, um, just segue into a whole different extreme reality, um, and it's almost like the show doesn't exist. And what remains is such a sense of triumph for having figured that show out. So I'm just, I'm just stuck with like a winning lottery ticket without cashing it in yet, and it, it, it feels, it, it, it feels oddly perfect. And I, I've always been somebody who has had emotions before things happen, like I mourn people before they die. I know that sounds really strange or I, so I, I felt this coming and I remember walking through the ADAA, literally crying. It was so embarrassing every time I saw a, a dealer I work with or or an artist, they'd say, how are you? And tears just went down my cheek and they said, what's going on? And I said, I, I'm about to open a show and I, I, I feel an enormous sense of fear. I'm never afraid of showing my work. I, I feel perfectly confident um, at, after I've deemed something viewable, but I could just feel something coming and um so so how am i doing I, i'm at the moment i'm just so grateful god i am and it there's so many echoes between what's going on now and things i've experienced in the past but in different ways and in preparing to talk to you i started to sort of take stock of all those different experiences of which there are so many like i remember uh being in the hospital about to give birth to my son and um the front page of the newspaper was about crew members stuck in a submarine and knowing out all of the world knowing that they would die and i i as well as ursula in the podcast you did before this have a unbelievable fear of claustrophobia of as she said being stuck in a coffin even she said even if I'm dead I don't want to be stuck in a coffin and I can so relate to that so I was about to give birth and these crew members were stuck in you know an undersea coffin let's say and I didn't know where to focus my attention I remember that so vividly um of course new yorkers also experience the towers falling and smelling it so strongly like a burning computer knowing there was so much mourning and death going on and activity fast activity and that was the day we were moving from one apartment to the other we had a 275 square foot apartment our son was starting to walk And we walked down the street with the fire going with a broomstick, with all our hanging clothes on the broomstick. I remember going to the apartment a block away that was big enough for my son to sleep on the living room floor. And um, I, I remember just having it's a, it's a really interesting experience that's parallel all our lives in every day, in every instance of having, knowing there are different realities going on all the time. So, um, and I've, I just thought of all of those and in terms of like being in our homes and nesting and the beauty of that and coming to terms with very deep issues with the family and finally dealing with things that we've swept aside for more than a decade. And also not to swim into this whole subject too quickly, but coming to terms because I decided not to keep making artwork when I got home, uh, coming to terms with like why I do what I do and not being, self-aggrandizing about it but rather to look at it sort of on the dark side and say what is it that I would be feeling if I weren't doing what I do in the studio and um, can I cleanse that stuff because I have nowhere to run and nowhere to hide Um, so I I kind of had this realization that there are a lot of feelings that I was covering up by all the rigor of my going to work that was just a really profound thing to think about
0: it's well first i'm i'm delighted to hear that um the family crisis has 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 uh passed and resolved itself um it it and it's interesting that art as I've talked with artists in the last few weeks, so many of them um understand that this present interregnum is um a really major life event you know often life events just kind of creep up on us and happen uh and here's one that is playing out daily in, in slow motion let's let's Talk about your show, Surveillance at Le Long in New York. I imagine you started uh, planning and thinking about the work that would be in this show and how you would install it years ago.
4: This this show is six years in the making. Uh, I've never. I I feel like being a middle aged or a mid career artist necessitates uh, renewal. And slowness, so I got to the point where I was known for doing monochromatic works with diagrammatic line drawings, for lack of a better word, even though they were painted lines, mm-hmm. expressing space. And I had this hunger six years ago after my last show. So let
0: me just let me let me just jump in real quick. Your last show at Long before this one was in 2014. Um, you've had you know probably eight six or eight solo shows other places in New York and Houston and San Francisco and North Carolina since then, but just to fill that in
4: showing in New York is always like a reset marker button of um, like setting the groundwork for um, a vocabulary that can spread out elsewhere um, so I was spreading out various uh inklings of this transition in the interim. Um, But I had this weird feeling inside that I wanted the paintings to make themselves. I didn't want to superimpose something that I had preconceived onto the work. And for that to happen, I needed to figure out what I was going to let go of and what I was going to keep. And that's why it took Six years um i went I went to Marfa to the Chinati Foundation. um Rob Wiener asked me to help with the Bridget Riley mural that was enormous, and he needed a crew, and he knew that I was good with brushwork, and we're very close' because <laughs> I've spent so much time there. Um, so I went, I let go. It was like the so rare that I would let go of my own life and daily practice and it was a good chance for me to sort of press a reset button and when I came back to the studio and this was like three years ago I had to talk about I I had I had to reckon with the fact that the reflection in this in my paintings have always been the elephant in the room that I've never wanted to reckon with and all everybody coming in the studio or into gallery shows would say, and why is this paint so shiny? And I always had, I had a party line, which may or not be relevant to this conversation, but I thought after a while, why don't I make the paintings about that reflection? So I had to figure out how to do that in such a way that um, maintained some elements of, what I feel are mine in my pocket, and that took years and i it was too big of a jump for the gallery to show because there was no line between two thousand and fourteen and two thousand and sixteen that the viewer would connect so i was I was absolutely desperate, like I was like an animal in a cage. I felt like I had made this huge discovery and I couldn't I couldn't show it to the public, even though all the artists who came to the studio really loved the work. So I was talking to a friend of mine, a, a painter I really admire, uh, Dan Walsh, and he finally gave me the talking to like an older brother that I think I needed all along, which was not, oh, Kate, this work is great, but, oh, Kate, this is gold in your pocket and now you have the uh, an even harder assignment which is how are you going to link this gold to your past gold and so it was sort of like oh okay and he said I always have to make a link painting in my show that's always something I need to do so you're, you're telling a story, you're making an argument, and you have to lead the viewer generously without them having to read any words or have the gallerist say, oh, this is what she was trying to do. I think the viewer needs to make those connections themselves. So um, that's why it took so long. And after a while, I just had to write on a piece of paper. I have a daily log which I put the date on the top and then I walk myself through all the ideas of the day with little thumbnail sketches and whatnot. And I had to say, okay, Kate, what, where are you? Since I'm such a zealot at times like the Woody Allen movie, cause I look left and right and fall in love with my peers work and say, Oh, can I do something like that? <laughs> but I said, okay, who are you? Kate sit down. What are, what are the qualities of your work? and I wrote down like six things and I said, okay, you're responsible for carrying four of these into every painting you make. You don't have to carry all of them, but you need to hold on to some of them. And that was when things kind of turned around and I I tried to maintain an experience and I tried to make some work that the viewer could understand what the project was and, and kind of make the work themselves. So I sort of gave the ingredients of the, of the omelet to the viewer so that they could make, make the experience and then understand the end product, the stuff that was the so-called gold in my pocket. And that's speaking in very abstract terms, I know, without describing the work on the podcast. which I can do if you want me to. But um, anyway, just that's where I am and right now in explaining it. So it
0: sounds like you had um, a, a year's planned conception of what this show and the narrative of your career and practice it would address. Um, uh, and so before we kind of get into how uh the world got put on hold early in march um you mentioned a transitional painting or two so maybe uh where we should go next is you detailing what that moment of transition was and how that's represented in the show
4: um great there were many different solutions to making a painting make itself um but when i got back to the studio after doing the bridget Riley mural and by the way i'm i'm not a huge Bridget Riley fan i just loved i loved the experience but it, it didn't necessarily um uh inform what i was trying to do but um i the thing that i did was i propped these extremely reflective paintings against the wall or on the wall or and i I just looked and saw what they saw so they were seeing the studio and uh, they were making their own images so the painting was in essence folding in on itself and making it making itself and I took photographs of these reflections and then went to a screen printer I've been working with for decades Luther Davis and we screen printed, which was trial and error. Technically, it was hard. The image back onto that panel. So I was, I was recording a moment in time when this panel was in space, which is a dangerous thing to do for me because I'm not a, I'm not a, a painter who is known to put photography into into my work necessarily. But the photography was really addressing the quality of the paint itself. Um, so that's why it was so steps and leaps ahead and had to be linked to, okay, well, this is this is not about photography. This is really about the paint itself. So that's why I stepped back and I said, let me make some paintings that show the viewer why these paintings had to be made. And um, that was that was an interesting thing. I think I only figured that out uh, four months before the show opened because I went through all the ideas. Yeah, every panel has about like 20 paintings underneath that I just sand it down and paint it again. Um, but the way I figured this out was in between layers, just like a boat or a door, you sand down paint when you're using really shiny paint, you have to give the surface a tooth. And the tooth was always, that sanded down surface was always so luscious to me. It felt like the like a belly or skin or an old blanket. And I always wanted to keep it, but I never had a reason to keep it. So by isolating that sanded velvet surface and then heaping some of the original paint, I could isolate where that paint reflected on the surface, and then it became sort of like I said, in, ingredients as opposed to something that was just uh, overall. Uh, it's hard to explain. So, is is a painting
0: and, like Saloon a good example of that?
4: <laughs> yeah, that was the first one, um, and that's why it has so much complication in the surface because there are so many paintings underneath it. Um, So yeah, sanding that down, seeing the beauty of that velvety surface, and then there were some line work paintings I did uh, a long time ago, and I basically just um, based that image on the line work without the lines, and it looked like those parallelograms sort of looked like paintings in space, and also like doors, and also like window, also like mirrors, but as far as you entering the paintings because they're in some level of the language of perspective um you could you could enter into some semblance of space but the space is then that velvety place which is a rather beautiful void um And it's called saloon because when you walk into a saloon, uh, your fellow drinkers can see your head and your boots, but not your body. And uh, (laughs) so the doors are rather central. And sometimes the working titles of the paintings get to be the public titles, and sometimes (laughs) they don't. That was always the saloon painting. Uh,
0: We'll have it on manpodcast.com on the show page. So you get to the point where um, you've made the body of work and there is uh, a lot of activity, it sounds like, in the final months before the show. As you're installing the show, were you beginning to worry about what was happening in the broader world?
4: There was some strange thing happening in the United States, as we all know, of not really being sure how far away and how close this tsunami was. Um, So I would say that while we were installing, it was such a glorious experience that, um, yes, it was something we were concerned about, but we were all also like laying a feast on the table and that was really a glorious experience. Uh, My gallery is so wonderful gallery Long and they they could feel it but we all just had to put one foot in front of the other uh I don't think there was anything Pollyanna about it there was just you know this is what we're doing and we're going to hope for the best and Mary kept saying I've been through many things in the past and I'll <laughs> go get through this one
0: yeah it's funny I I I mean that works that way for writers too right I mean the work you know The work's got to get done. The work is both retreat and treat sometimes. Um, So you did get to have an opening, right? In in, in a modified form.
4: We had an opening. Very few people came. It felt like a a really tiny wedding, which I had. Very loving group (laughs) of people. Incredibly strong response to the show, which I didn't think was like a pity response. I thought it was really generous. And, and genuine. And then the next day, uh, Chelsea was dead. One artist came in whose show had just opened at Luring Augustine, which was also about to close. And um, my husband came and took some f- footage of the of the show with walking around. Uh, thank God he did that because that was the, the basis of this uh, of this, uh, little video that the gallery put out with me talking way too slowly, <laughs> but I did the best I could and, uh, summarizing the show in as easy a term as I could. But, um, and then, and then we closed. So it was a one day show. Yeah.
0: So how do you think about that? What is, what is, Is something lost? What is lost?
4: Um, Well, like I said, I felt a sense of triumph for having figured this show out uh, more than any other show. What's lost is um, obviously sales, which we were poised to make and are still poised to make hopefully in the future because from what I understand, the gallery is really committed to having this show be open to the public once the public is able to leave the house, um, which I'm really grateful for. And I never n- knew until yesterday that that was a possibility. Um, what's lost is there are a couple of people I really wanted to be at that opening who didn't make it. And I don't think that this show can ex- be experienced virtually at all. Um, is that the word virtually? I think it is, but I, th- I think that it can only be sh- you can only think that you understand it, but there's a level of surprise in these paintings and um, and capturing them in a still or in a in a limited way of you know my husband walking past a painting or a photograph it just it just doesn't get it um, and I know that, but I also know that. You know, we all look at shows online that we can't get to and we think we've seen it. And my fear is that, you know, people will think that they have seen it. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if that answers, but I I think that's most of it.
0: It, That's interesting. I've heard from so many people in, in the art world, whether it's artists and people at commercial galleries or curators, uh, and administrators at museums that the, that their commitments to not discarding this cycle of exhibitions, whether those exhibitions reflect scholarly thought by curators or the investigative work of artists, um, is overwhelming that the, reasons why artists and curators and people like me, I guess, um, do these things is being reinforced rather than um, challenged and then discarded. And so that's heartening to hear.
4: Yeah. Funny you should say that what I've been thinking about these unsatisfying ways of looking at shows is really counterbalanced by uh, the fact that ideas Talking. It, it, that's happening now more than ever. Um, th- this is the reason I was, I am, and was so involved with Triple Canopy, the, the online magazine, because rather than, uh, looking at things, we are talking about things. So I, I think that we are, sort of, getting recommitted to the ideas behind artwork right now. I'm overloaded by the amount of podcasts that I want to listen to and the amount of videos I want to hear and look at. Um, but hopefully that's one upside. Um, listening to your interview with Anne about the judge show was Anne Really, really, Yes, it was really overwhelming because I what I heard in her was such a profound commitment to somebody else's work. And it really moved it really moved me, that level of uh commitment.
0: Yeah, I hope I hope I hope that's something our our show does in being as long format in our conversations as it is. I I enjoy I enjoy that, both at a kind of a visceral and spiritual level and at an intellectual level. And so I appreciate that. Thank you. One of the things that Paul Padre Sapoya and I talked about on the first segment of this bonus episode um, was that it had been uh, quite a number of years since he had had a solo show in his hometown of Los Angeles. And indeed, this is by far his biggest show in Los Angeles. And you're in a not dissimilar situation in New York um this is your first show at lelong uh in in 6 years do you anywhere in the corners of your mind think to yourself or worry to yourself that the chances that this body of work will have of influencing artists and other thinkers may be diminished
4: absolutely uh this more than any other show is is fragile show because um because i changed the i don't know if the word paradigm but because i changed the whole approach to making paintings you can't bring two of these to an art fair or put two in a back room and uh, have the viewer really understand what the whole motivation behind this work is i think i needed to just um flood the room with uh examples of this experience otherwise it i'm not getting the point across so if it were a show of line work we could put one up or two up and you could say oh she's doing a different type of image but the method would be familiar so my fear is breaking up the show before it's digested as a whole that that's really palpable for me um but I have to say, I've never had such an army of people coming through my gap, my my um my studio as I had in the last six years. I had every friend, artist, even every new acquaintance, artist coming through. Some of them even three times to sort of troubleshoot this this. Uh, this type of approach and talk it through and hear what they had to say. So in some ways I feel like this um, show is public on a, on a very underground level.
0: (laughs) I appreciate you just came out uh, of a period of many months of intensity, getting the show on the walls and in a very different way, the last six weeks have been a series of cascading intensities so, what are you doing now? Are you still trying to make work? Are you um still very much in the headspace of making this show? how are you are you having a practice now
4: mm. i i i some oftentimes when I come home for dinner, I don't remember what I worked on that day intensely there's uh something about my work that has to do for me with evoking an experience or um, some sort of um, surprising abstract experience. So oftentimes I don't even remember the images that I work on. So I feel like the paintings are in an interesting place alone in that gallery and reflecting their surroundings. I, I feel fine about it, but I'm not making artwork now. I'm cleaning the house and being reminded of, of various things in my history and clearing them out. We're, we're doing that as a family, sometimes in a too extreme type of a way. But I'm sort of storing up just like we, we we're watching unorthodox. I, I haven't been watching television, but I wanted to see that show about the, the Hasidic woman who left her community in Williamsburg which was a very confined community. And, um, and and it talks about how two weeks out of the month, you're not sleeping with your husband because you're unclean and how that's supposed to build an appetite, a sexual appetite. So in a lot of ways, that, that's the way I feel. I'm, I'm, I'm rebuilding my virginity to, uh, <laughs> to touching things. Uh, are, and I'm really holding back Um, Because I want that sense of touch of materials to feel new and to feel like a surprise. Um, I'm all about making mistakes. I I never get anything right the first time. So it's not like I'm going to do that necessarily. It's going to be a process. But I'm I'm really not ready to start that process yet. Um, The other thing I'm doing is I had a show planned in Houston at Hiram Butler Gallery. And I was going to give a talk at the Menil, which is my, one of my all-time favorite places in the world. Um, I was really looking forward to it. And when it was evident, it was so fun because everybody knows that things are canceled. So we don't even have to talk about it, but <laughs> I, 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 uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, so I, I called the gallery a couple weeks ago and I said, Hey, let's have the show. I'm going to give you, how about I give you some instructions and you make the show from afar. And he said, yeah, Josh Pazda. He said, yeah, lay it on me. So I'm building a sketch up and a, and a Photoshop file and with dimensions and he's going to do some paintings right on the wall. I'm absolutely thrilled and it feels really right to me and artwork that is temporary feels right to me because Right now, it's just such a period of shedding because we're starting anew, and uh, a lack of accumulation feels feels really right. And also, if it's temporary, it also captures the time more pointedly. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that.
0: The, the paintings uh, in the Le Long show look terrific, uh, layered, both in terms of how they're made and the histories they refer to, and the mini art histories that are uh, within them, we will have a link uh, on the show page at manpodcast.com to the show and to the representations of it. uh, Of course, Kate, thanks very
4: much. Thank you so much for having me.
0: That's all for this week's show. The modern art notes podcast is edited by Wilson Butterworth. Special thanks to Steve Roden, who created the sound for the program.